Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Brooke, welcome to the Clever Girls No Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you on here to share your amazing story of how you have taken yourself from having a negative net worth to now achieving financial freedom and traveling around the world, which is incredible. But before we dive in, I'm going to have you introduce yourself to everyone listening. Please tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. My name is Brooke Tomasetti, and I work as a marketing strategist for finance and investing related companies. And I'm also a personal finance consultant at my small business, Money Life Mentor, where I help others use money as a tool for creating their dream lives by getting organized with their money and making the most of their income every month. I've also worked remotely for six years, which is something I'm very passionate about, and I'm currently traveling full-time. That's awesome. And we'll get into more about that, but you are a part of the Clever Girl Finance community and you had submitted to be on the podcast and I was reading your story and I just thought that it was, it's so awesome. So on your journey to getting out of your negative net worth, one of the first things you did was pay off your student loans in 18 months, right? And you paid off the entirety of your loans, even though you were earning just about $45,000 before taxes. <laughs> Can you tell us how much you paid off and how did you make this work in 18 months? Sure. So first I'll kind of jump into my situation at the time and my income level and all of that stuff. So after I graduated from college, I moved into a two bedroom apartment with a roommate in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. So not a crazy expensive city, but, you know, still a city. I was able to find an apartment with two bedroom, one bath that my roommate and I could split, right? So my salary that first year out of college was $40,000 before taxes that very first year. Mm -hmm. And I believe my half of the rent was $550, not including utilities. So to kind of set the stage there. And I will say too, I know a lot of people have considerably more student loans than the $15,000 that I had. So I felt very fortunate in that sense because I was very much aware of that from speaking to my friends. But I do think that these same steps that I took would apply like regardless of what my debt number was. So when I got my first paycheck, I, I was really hopeful and excited because it was my first full-time 
real job paycheck. And yes, I was making $40,000 a year before taxes. So not a crazy amount, but to me, this was so much money. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me when I got my first job out of college. <laughs> I yes. thought I was rich. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I, will, I had a pretty good mindset in that I was like, okay, I can make this work and I can come out ahead if I like instill the right habits and come up with some kind of a plan. So the first thing that I did was sit down at my laptop with all of my credit card, all of my bills from those first few weeks and bank statements opened up and I figured out on average how much my monthly expenses were. I did this using a Google Sheets spreadsheet. I first found one online and then I ended up like modifying it uh, and customizing it for my own uses. But I, I simply input my monthly expenses, my monthly income. Once I had that, those first couple of paychecks and I could figure out, okay, this is my real after-tax rate. This is what I'm getting paid every two weeks. And really having all of my numbers right there made it easy to tell how much each month I could afford to put towards my loans. So that was a very, very important first step. Okay. So let me ask you this. Before we continue on with your, you know, your story, um, why did you want to do this? Because like you said, $15,000 was a lot less than your friends had. It's still a lot of money. We're not going to take that amount for granted. That's a big amount of money, especially on your income. But why were you compelled to want to pay off your debt and in 18 months or basically as quickly as you could? Yeah, it's such a good question too, because my loans were also federal loans. So it's not like the interest rate was anything astronomical, right? I think my interest rate was like 3.5%. So for me, I, I had that choice to make. My biggest value, and it's been this way since I was a little girl, my biggest value is freedom and independence, mm-hmm. right? And to me, I felt that emotional strain of being in debt. It felt really heavy to me and it felt like it was dragging me down. So because I knew that once I paid off that debt, I could put that money towards more fun goals like investing or buying a house, right? So I decided to, for mostly emotional, mental reasons, to aggressively pay it off versus focusing on any other money goals at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, freedom is is an amazing <laughs> why to have. I think that's something that everybody strives for. And the fact that you got clear on your why very quickly is something that I think is is commendable because sometimes people need time to figure out their why coming out of college, trying to, you know, figure out who you are, what you want to do. So, so that's really great. And so you create this plan, you start working aggressively, paying down your debt. Obviously you're able to keep your rent low because you have a roommate. And then within 18 months, you've paid off this $15,000. And once your loans are gone, you didn't stop there. You then focused on increasing your net worth and you did this over the next four years where you increased your net worth to over six figures. So I want you to to tell us or walk us through, like, what were the first steps you did? What were you, the first steps you did? And over those four years, what were you doing consistently to help you increase your net worth to over six figures? Your loans were gone, but obviously we're still paying your, your bills, living your life and you're young, right? You know, so, and, and that's the age where people just want to enjoy life. So what were you doing specifically 
And what was your goal over those four years? Like, was it just to get past $100,000? Was it to get to $200,000? And what were you doing, basically? (laughs) Yes. Okay, there's a lot here, but I'll start with what my goal was. (laughs) And, you know, that has changed a little bit, right, over the last six years for me. And I really think it's important to intentionally revisit what your end goal is at least once a year, right? Like reflect on what your goal is and really like why, why you want to do that. You mentioned like, I mentioned freedom being my biggest value, Mm -hmm. but you know, I also want to point out, like I've never made more than $72,000 a year before taxes in my job role. And not because I wasn't in a field that I could do that, but more so because of my value of freedom and independence, right? When I was in college, I did five different internships, which sounds crazy, but I was just so intent on figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, my work life, and Mm -hmm. then also like the lifestyle I wanted to live and what kind of work I needed to do and what environment I wanted to work in to be able to accomplish that. And I had worked at some large companies and I knew for a fact that that was not for me. Like climbing the corporate ladder was not going to bring me happiness or this lifestyle with freedom and travel that I so desired. So I, I, I do think that like step one is always figuring out, okay, what is my goal? And I feel very grateful that, you know, going to college enabled me to do these internships while I was in college so that I could kind of, you know, play around and figure out what that looked like mm-hmm. to me. So I knew that I wanted to, once I paid off the debt, I knew that I wanted to invest as much as I could. And to be honest, I didn't really have a number in mind. Like I wasn't like, okay, in four years, I want to be at hundred thousand dollars in investments or $200,000. It was more like, I want to build some kind of a buffer, some kind of a nest egg where I can feel like you know, I can make whatever decision I want to really like, okay, if I want to quit my job, I can do that. And I would be fine for four to 12 months. I just wanted that kind of flexibility in my life where I could say no to things that were no longer serving me like a job or whatever it was. And then yes to things that really excited me, whether that was going on a trip or saving up to buy a house. So I I think that was really important part of my journey was just having that self-awareness to understand, okay, this is my goal. And then part two was putting that plan together. So I'll kind of get into that a little bit. And really, it's very similar to paying off my debt because, of course, that was on a much smaller scale with getting that $15,000 in debt cleared out of my name, my process is very similar, right? So once I paid off the debt, I continued to budget and review my monthly expenses. But now with my debt gone, instead of taking that, you know, $800 per month that I was piling towards loans, I was able to instead invest that money. Okay. So you sound like you had this really, you know, great plan in place, but Four years is a long time, right? And of oh, course, yeah. <laughs> as four years is happening, life is happening, temptation is coming, distractions, setbacks. How did you navigate those types of things? Yeah, absolutely. So something that's very important that I need to point out is that for 
let's see, it was probably year and a half to two years. I moved back to my home state. So I was able to live rent-free. I paid utilities every month. Um, and then obviously groceries and whatever else I needed to live, but I didn't have that rent expense. So that further helped me to keep my living expenses low, but it wasn't easy, right? <laughs> I had like my own kind of like above the apartment space, but still like when you're moving to a new place, like I was no longer in a city where the bulk of my friends lived, where you know, you could just, I could just walk downtown and go to a bar or go mm -hmm. to my favorite restaurant. So that was definitely difficult. And, you know, like I said, I think that getting super clear on why I was taking these actions was really, really important because it did keep me going in times where I was like doubting, like, why am I doing this? So you, how much did you end up saving at the end of four years? Saving plus investing. I, let's see. So I was at over $100,000 in investments. Savings, I'm not sure. Like in my case, I would typically be saving for travel, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because, so I would take a portion of my income every month and set that aside in a separate savings account so that I could use it for an upcoming trip and, and flights and things like that. So it was more like I was saving for more of like a, a sinking fund where I'm putting the money away and then I'm, I'm using it to pay for like that next trip. Yes, but the bulk of your, yeah, that's what I meant. The bulk of your, I guess your assets was in your investment. So that's basically what I meant. So you had saved over $100,000. That's amazing. <laughs> you sound like you're reminding me of me. But, you know, the reason why I'm asking, you know, these questions about what compelled you, how did you manage temptation? Um, how did you stay focused? What steps did you take? Is because, you know, there, there's someone listening who's trying to figure out how do I do this thing and they're motivated and they want to do it. And I think it's inspirational to hear when somebody else has done it and to hear the steps that somebody else has taken to do it. And also to hear that somebody was successful doing it despite different things that may come up. And I think that, like you said, saving, investing, building those assets is simple. The process is simple, right? You create your plan, you execute your plan. You can make it simpler by automating your deposits to your investment account, to your savings account. So you don't have to think about it. So you don't have to have those mental debates with yourself. But I think the most important part is being intentional. And like you said, getting clear on your goal, your end goal and your why, and really knowing why you want to do this, what's compelling you to want to achieve this. And your why is personal for you was freedom for some other people, it might be many different things, right? Freedom, security, peace of mind, wanting to help their family, wanting to live their best life, wanting to be able to buy the things they want, whatever it is that's personal to you. And that's perfectly fine. Right. But it's just, it's, it's really important to be able to see it happen. And so I love it on the podcast when guests share details, because it's just, it's just very interesting. And you're definitely inspiring someone else out there who's listening. So, so you've, you've gone to the point where you now have six figures in assets, but you did not stop there. <laughs> you then went on to buy your first real estate investment, and then you sold it three years later, and you had $75,000 in profits after all said and done. That means, you know, expenses, et cetera. Why did you get into real estate? What type of mortgage did you have for those who are listening, who are interested in, in what you did? What type of property did you buy? What city did you buy in? <laughs> and, and how did you manage the cash flow of your property? 
Sure. So a couple of years post-college, I started to like think about, okay, this investing thing is awesome. Like I can see my money compounding. I have a plan for this part of my finances, but how can I accelerate this even further? Right. And that's when I started learning about real estate and I was just reading everything that I could watching all the videos, listening to podcasts and, you know, doing all the things I could to just kind of go down that rabbit hole of real estate. And I was just in love with the idea that I could purchase a property and live in it and rent out the units or additional bedrooms that I wasn't using to cover my mortgage and other expenses. So that became one of my savings goals. And yeah, that's really my why behind real estate. I saw that it could accelerate my goal of Mm. just living this more flexible lifestyle with freedom because I was like, oh, if my, if I can cover my housing expenses, I could have a home base in a city or town that I love, but still be able to travel, which has always been very important to me. So I just saw it as um, a really good, really good solution. And then in terms of the type of mortgage I had, and I, I will say too, for anyone who's looking to purchase an investment property, my biggest asset in this whole process was my realtor, who also happens to be my really good friend. But I would never have found this property or figured out who I need on my team in order to make this happen were it not for my realtor, right? So I think having an agent and they also happen to be my good friend and they own their own investment properties and they specifically help investors, right? So that was a huge, that was just a huge help when I was getting started. And I I don't know if I would have been able to do it without them. I, I was actually abroad when I bought my property, which is kind of a crazy story. <laughs> you, were, you were abroad. Tell me more. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was on a three-month trip in Central America. I was actually in Guatemala traveling with one of my coworkers. We were working while exploring on the weekends. And my agent texts me and he's like, hey, I think I found a really great three-family property. It's right around the corner from where you used to rent in Providence, Rhode Island. And he's like, I'll go see it tomorrow. So <laughs> he went to go do, do the viewing without me, of course, because I was away for at least another month. Mm-hmm. Um, he, but, you know, he sent me videos, photos of the property, spoke to the seller's agent, all of that. And I managed to close on the property while I was abroad, which... I really do not recommend for most people, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy and I think most investors do this on, you know, maybe like their 10th property, but this was like the first offer I ever put in. But again, I I had a lot of trust with my realtor. I knew that they, you know, they knew what they were doing and I also I I could see my future kitchen for my old bedroom. That's how close the property was to where I used to rent. So I had a really good feel for the neighborhood and, you know, rent prices and house prices in the area. Yeah. I I think it was a pro for you because the realtor was actually your friend. (laughs) So you trusted them, right? Because you you knew them. So you got this three family property and it was able to cover your, your own mortgage expenses, like your own, for your own living 
area of the building. I'm assuming you just had like a conventional mortgage as a first time home buyer mortgage, right? Since you were going to be living in the property. Yes, I, I actually, I did a conventional loan with three and a half percent down, mm-hmm. which I, I had no idea that I could purchase a property for that cheap, right? I think that when we're just starting out, we're like, oh my gosh, I need to save 20% of yeah. this, you know, $300,000 house. But the state where I lived in and for my situation where it was my first house, I was able to do that conventional 3.5% down. And when I purchased the property, the state of Rhode Island actually had a grant program. So three and a half percent down, uh, I think it was around $17,000 that I was going to pay at closing. But Rhode Island had a grant, which again, I would not have known about these things were it not for my realtor and my loan officer. But mm-hmm. there was a grant where Rhode Island gave me $7,000 towards the closing costs of the property. So I only ended up you know, having to pay ten, eleven thousand dollars at closing, which to me was mind blowing. Yeah, especially since you walked away from the property with with a huge profit. And I think for anyone who's listening, who is in that space of wanting to buy a home, especially if you're a first time home buyer, sometimes realtors and mortgage brokers don't always give you all the information. They may know it, they may not. You know, it just it may not be a priority for them. Um, they may have other things on their mind, but it's always worth your time to do the research. Don't expect your realtor or mortgage officer to have all the answers and research prepared for you. Like with you, Brooke, you found that incredible grant with your state. So if you're in the market to buy a first home, look at all the options in terms of financing, grants, et cetera, to see what you can get. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, because you had this like personal slash rental property was around your, your cash flow. So was your, or where your payments from rent from your other two apartment or units able to cover not just your mortgage, but also the maintenance costs of the home? Or did you find instances where you had to come out of pocket? Cause that's really important for folks who are thinking about investing in real estate. The biggest thing with real estate investments is Appreciation is the second thing. The first thing really is cash flow, being able to cover your costs through the payments that you're getting from rent. Yes, absolutely. When I first bought the property that first year, my rents were, I believe, $100 short from covering my mortgage, taxes, and insurance. So I was pretty happy (laughs) with that month over month. And then after one year, I renovated one of the units and had new tenants in that were paying a higher rental price. So after that, I was cash flowing on the property. But again, like my unit was two bedrooms. So I was really happy with that, right? <laughs> like I could have, I could have friends or family visit me and stay in my spare bedroom. But at that point, all of my expenses were covered. And again, like anyone who owns a property knows that it's not the same like capital expenditures and maintenance and things like that month over month. Some months things happen and I have definitely been in that situation. In some cases, insurance would cover it, right? So one time there was a big storm and something happened with the shingles on my roof, but I was able to use insurance to cover that. But then other things were outside of that. So for example, um, one time I had a hot water heater break. And I actually happened to be in Ireland when that happened. So (laughs) I couldn't exactly go over to the property, but I called my handyman who like I had them as basically an emergency contact 
who I would call when I wasn't around to handle things, which I would have had to do anyways, right? Like I am not the handiest person. I don't know how to change out a water heater. So I would have had to, <laughs> I think most of us don't know how to do that. <laughs> right. So, so I, like, I would have had to call them anyways. Right. So I wasn't too, it didn't actually make that big of a difference that I was abroad, <laughs> but luckily they were able to get there, you know, clean the water out of the basement. They hooked up a new water heater and that was that. But again, that was an expense that I was not planning for. So I, I just kind of account for that when I, when I went to sell the property in terms of like some of these additional expenses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about getting to real estate investing, we've talked a little bit about this on other episodes of the podcast. It's really important to run your numbers, right? What, like Brooke, you know, you said you came after your tenants paid their rent, you had to pay an extra hundred dollars to cover the full cost. So you need to know what your costs are and you can definitely get estimates of what your mortgage is going to be, including property taxes. And then, you know, if you have tenants already in the property or you, you talk with, you look at comps to determine, okay, what can you rent the property from? You can determine what your rent is going to be versus what your expenses are going to be. And it's also really important to have a sinking fund like you did where you're saving for unexpected things, right? Water heater breaks. <laughs> and, you know, an, another step to take is just really to look at the property and gauge it, right? How old is the roof? How old are the appliances? How old are the systems? How old is the plumbing? So you can kind of get a sense of, okay, a roof, the life of a roof is 20 years or 25 years. Okay. If this roof is 24 years old, there's a chance that in two, three years, I'm going to have to replace this roof. You can build that into your sinking fund, make sure you have the right kind of insurance. If, you know, home warranties make sense in terms of what they cover, then definitely explore that, but make sure you run your number so that it makes sense for you from a cash flow perspective. So Brooke, you now have this $75,000 in profit after you sell this home you paid your closing costs or seller fees, whatever, you have $75,000. What do you do with this money? <laughs> yeah, great question. So, and I think a lot of people would be like, wait, where did she go once like, she sold her house? <laughs> because you already had your six figures in, you had already built your net worth of six figures and you were continuing to invest. And then you get this additional $75,000 from your investment, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So so for me, so my, <laughs> my partner lives in Germany. So I was already spending, you know, half the year abroad, whether that was on my own travels or in Europe visiting him. <laughs> so mm-hmm. to me, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to sell all of my stuff, meaning like the things in my house. Right. <laughs> so within 30 days, I, I sold the house and I sold all of the furniture, wow. all of the things I couldn't take with me out of my unit, which it was a crazy time. Right. And I decided to basically become a full-time, I hate this phrase, but digital nomad, I suppose, because I was, <laughs> I was working full-time of course, remotely. remotely okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should point out too. I, my first year out of college, I worked an office job. So I was at an agency working in an office in Pawtucket and that's where I discovered remote work because they allowed us to work remotely one day a week. And I think I was the only employee who took advantage of that for a while <laughs> because <laughs> the first time I did it, I took a remote day on a Friday and I was mm-hmm. like, Oh my gosh, I'm so much more productive <laughs> at my house. <laughs> so, so after that, I was like, wow, I, I need to do this 
full time. Like I could do this every day. So after that first year, I found a job where I could do that full time remotely. I think when it comes to remote work, it really depends. Like I had, uh, I was assigned to a client once because I worked in consulting and I worked remotely for six months and I really struggled because my team was in another country and I just felt very isolated because I didn't get to interact with other people. And even though I'm an introvert, I like to have some sort of physical interaction every now and then. <laughs> so I can, I can work remote four days and come to the office on Friday. <laughs> I so relate. I so relate to that, Bola. It's good um, to have a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I found that working for a company where you have some employees in an office or multiple offices, and then you have this remote, like floating remote group of employees, it just doesn't work as well because you start to develop different cultures, yes. right? There's like the office culture. And then there's like the remote employees kind of have like their own culture. And I've been fortunate in that I've only worked for companies that are 100% remote. And I find that that works much better because everyone's kind of in the same boat, right? So, Mm -hmm. so if the employer does a good job of like creating this remote culture, it can be like a really great thing. And like, I've made really good friends actually from employees who we were working remotely and then just chose to meet up in person. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So random question, you you said your partner lives in Germany. While you were doing all of this saving, investing, property buying, selling, (laughs) when it came to like finances, did they kind of have the same perspective as you? Yes. Goal-wise? Yeah, it's a really good question. And oh, I should go, I should answer our question before. So with the profit from the property, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I know we got a little off track. Um, I actually took that full profit and I invested it into the stock market because yeah, I mean, I have, I had seen firsthand over the years how my money had compounded in the market. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just followed the strategy that I had already been using, but just did it with this kind of inflow of money, right? (laughs) Yeah, you had a lump sum to invest and take advantage of additional growth and compounding and appreciation over long-term. Exactly, exactly. And the market was like down a little bit. I sold my property last November, so almost exactly a year ago. And yeah, it was good timing because the real estate market was really high, but the stock market was doing some funky things. Yeah. So, (laughs) yes. And then you were asking about, my partners. Yeah. yeah. So he, he and I have actually really similar money mentalities, which is really nice. Right. Like I think, Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it can be really challenging if you and your partner are, you know, not on the same page with money, but he is in currently he's in the military and he has, he has really good values around saving and investing. And he's also interested in investing and things like that. So it's fun because we get to talk about these things together and we get to like brainstorm strategies and think about ideas. And we have shared saving goals, of course, right? Because we're in this partnership together. So we've actually, for the last two and a half years, we've been saving up each of us respectively for this kind of mini retirement because he is leaving his military career in the spring mm-hmm. and we'll be doing a lot of traveling. So we've been preparing for that. Yeah. So 
Less than 10 years out of college, you've done these amazing things. Congratulations. This is Thank awesome. You. And you know, you have so much more life ahead of you. And for anyone listening, this is not an age thing. You can decide that, you know what, I want to make big changes with my finances. I, I'm clear on my why I want to achieve these goals and you can start now. It's it's never too late. And I, I always like to point that out, but your, your story is definitely inspiring, right? The earlier you start, the better, right? Because now you can pursue your mini retirement. But even if you're starting your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, you can choose financial wellness now and you can start to create those plans and you can start to budget, you can start to save, you can start to invest and still have big accomplishments in your life. So Brooke, you have left your full-time job, right? And you're pursuing a mini retirement. And one of the things you mentioned in your submission was that uh, you had saved up money so you could leave and travel for the next one to two years. Why? Why do you want to travel? Why do you, do you plan to go back to work? Uh, is a mini retirement like working part-time here and there? What does that mini retirement mean for you? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because I use the word mini retirement because I'm honestly not quite sure what else to call it. But so I left my full-time job about eight weeks ago. So it's pretty new for me, but kind of in the meantime, I've been doing some marketing strategy contractor and freelance work. And I'm actually now doing like 15 to 20 hours a week. So kind of like a part-time, but like contractor hourly rate type of role for this investment company that I'm pretty excited about. So I'm still working in a sense, but I'm just able to do it in a way where I can pick the projects that I really am excited about and that I want to work on, um, which is really important to me. But I also, of course, saved up about, let's see. So I saved up about six months of expenses when I left my job, before I left my job, so that I could kind of do this, you know, contractor test. Mm -hmm. And then I have the 12 to 18 months for traveling with my partner kind of as like a a separate savings bucket that I've been saving for the last two and a half years. Right. So I, I've got like my living expenses, but I was like, I think that we're so like, at least me, I'm always surprised by the strength of my network and the people I know, because I wasn't expecting to be working as much as I have these past <laughs> six weeks, but I'm like, yeah, I think for me, it was just time to, to kind of experiment and see if I could uh, find something that fit me well in terms of something that's still remote, but even more flexible in terms of the the hours that I'm working before yeah. I, I leave for this quote unquote mini retirement travel <laughs> sabbatical, whatever you want to call it, because uh, we'll be traveling pretty slowly, like spending a month or two in one place at a time. Mm -hmm. So I probably will be working at least 15 to 25 hours a week, just in a, a much more flexible capacity, but you know, this way, this way I'm able to more than cover my average monthly expenses both right now. And then when we're on the road. So again, it's like, it's very much a mix. It's not like a, I'm going to not work for <laughs> 12 months. It's, it's more like kind of just feeling it out as I go and adjusting based on what's working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. I love it. This is very much you living your life on your own terms. And that's fantastic. <laughs> yes, yes. 
So I would love for you to share just words of advice, encouragement, motivation for the women who are listening to this, who are starting their journey in the middle of their journey, working towards their own financial wellness, building up their assets and wanting to live life on their own terms. What advice would you give another woman given your experiences over the last several years with achieving your own financial wellness? Yes. So I would just remind everyone that those little financial wellness habits that you're doing every day, week, and month will pay off. It's so easy to get lost in it and just feel like you're not making progress, right? Like day over day, it's it's so hard to be like, oh, I see like this massive progress I'm making. But those habits in the little money moves that you're making will snowball over time into massive progress. And my story is definitely a testament to this. And I think that all of the other incredible women who you've had on this podcast are, are also incredible examples of this, but it all starts with these very small, seemingly small habits and small like money moves, but they really do add up over time into massive change. And one day you're going to wake up, you know, four years from now, five years from now, and you're going to realize like, oh, wow, the life that I wanted to be living four or five years ago is where I'm at now. I, I couldn't agree more because I am a testament of that. The small steps, they add up. Believe me, they do. And we had recently posted something on Instagram about, you know, the small steps add up. One of those types of quotes or statements. And somebody commented and said, what do you mean by they add up? What's the point? <laughs> And the point is that they do add up. I promise you, it may not seem like much when you're depositing those small dollars, when you're investing those small amounts, when you're making those small debt payments, but take a step back, right? And if you've been consistent with it, look at how you've done over the last six months, the last 12 months, and you will see the progress in the motions, in the moment of it. It doesn't seem like it's nearly enough. But over time, it definitely adds up. So I love that advice, Brooke. I think that's amazing. You're you're also a testament of this because you paid off your student loans. You built a six-figure net worth. You bought a property, made a profit. Now you are mini retired, <laughs> <laughs> traveling and working on your own terms when you feel like it because you have money in the bank and you're young. So your money is just only going to continue to grow and you're going to be a millionaire. So it's inevitable, right? Because you're staying consistent. You're doing what you're doing. So believe it. If you're listening, it does add up. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so Brooke, I asked everyone who joins, what is your clever girl superpower? For me, self-awareness is my superpower. I have always known what makes me happy and what things in life I should just ignore and let be. And that's allowed me to create a life that I love. I love that. Self-awareness is a, is a really important superpower to have. And it's something that I'm always working on because I think it's a muscle that you continuously are just making sure that you're in tune with. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something that you can practice through journaling and, you know, a hundred other ways. So that's also something I love about it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you being part of the Clever Girl Finance community and for coming on to share your amazing story. And before you go, please tell people where they can learn more about you, how they can find you, et cetera. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me and for this incredible community that you've built. And for me, Instagram is my spot. So my handle is at Money Life Mentor. 
And if they want, they can also visit my website, moneylifementor.com. Thank you so much, Brooke. And we'll have all of that information in the show notes. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.